Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NBA playoff coverage leading up to the NBA Finals. Also look out for a 2019 NBA Draft Guide, which now features 50 of Kevin O'Connor's scouting reports. The Draft Guide has a first-round mock draft, big board rankings from our draft experts like Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow, and much more to come leading up to the draft itself on June 20th. Once again, check out The Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide and all of our NBA coverage over on TheRinger.com. Welcome to Ringer FC. I'm your host, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer, Donnie Kwok. The Premier League season is over. And yes, Manchester City eked out Liverpool by one point to win back-to-back titles. On this episode, I'll be going down the table talking to some of our Ringer colleagues about how their teams fared this season. But first, with me as always, my main man, Micah Peters. Weapons free. And joining us... Two sad but happy Liverpool diehards. Chris Ryan. Mind the gap, dog. <laughs> Via phone, our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon. Can I uh, air a grievance real quick? <laughs> please, please. I see Micah all the time. I see Chris frequently as well. The last few times I've spoken to you on the phone were on this podcast after Liverpool lost to Manchester City. <laughs> And then after Liverpool <laughs> lost the Premier League to Manchester City. So, but I, te- uh, I text you frequently. <laughs> that's true. That's Do- true. Donnie, you don't text me. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, because you're usually doing other stuff. <laughs> that's true. Speaking of, Chris, I want to double click on your Sunday. Okay. So what a whirlwind Sunday for you. You <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Liverpool fails to win the title. Uh-huh. Sixers lose to the Raptors in Game 7. Uh-huh. On a last then, second shot from Kawhi Leonard that bounced on the rim four times. The double doink, the double doink, doink. And then Daenerys cooks the entire King's Landing. Did she? Spoilers? <laughs> and then uh, you had to, and then it was Talk the Throne Madness. So yeah. are you alive? I'm fine, man. I mean, it, it's one of those days where it's just like you 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 wake up and then the next thing you know, you're back in bed and you just can't believe like the amount of different emotions that pop culture and sports can run you through. I did not get to see the second half of the Sixers game because I was watching Game of Thrones for Talk the Thrones. Um, but look, you know, like I love the fact that I, you know, at 41, I still feel this deeply about like guys kicking balls or shooting balls or fake people riding fake dragons. So <laughs> let me, let me ask both Chris and Ryan this question. So Sadio Mane opens the scoring against Wolves on Sunday. And then for a brief, I guess it was what? 83 right. seconds. So Glenn mm-hmm. Murray scores to put Brighton ahead. And, th- and then there's like an 83 second gap between that and Aguero scoring equalizing which if that result held Liverpool would still have won the title but the question basically is at any point did you believe did you allow yourself to believe that winning the title was a possibility on Sunday yeah of course Ryan uh you guys you guys know that I'm one of the last people to sort of believe in things like destiny and uh momentum and stuff like that but just after what happened last Tuesday after how Liverpool beat Newcastle it was hard for me to not um, think that this was actually happening. And that was kind of the first time I actually let myself believe since January. <laughs> Micah, did you believe as a neutral? 
as a neutral, <laughs> as, as a, a neutral, neutral. <laughs> as a <Yeah>. neutral. <laughs> no, I was rooting on the. I was I was rooting on the guillotine. I I didn't want Liverpool to win. Do you mean, want Manchester City to win? I mean, the thing is that like I, it is a complicated mess of emotions because I don't want. I I would prefer it like in a perfectly ordered universe for me that neither of the teams would win. Yes, obviously, but Liverpool. The animosity between United and Liverpool is weirdly stronger than it is between City and United. Yeah. So I mean, as a like as a fan personally, like as a United fan, I wanted Liverpool to lose. As a person that talks about soccer regularly on this podcast, um, I wanted Liverpool to win because it would be more interesting. So mm-hmm. it was like it was a weird feeling in those 83 seconds. I was just like, holy shit, maybe this, maybe about, this will happen. What about like the fact that two of your friends are huge Liverpool fans. That, uh, <laughs> that obviously does not matter to him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a loaded question, Ryan. I, I feel like, you know, don't, don't, don't cheapen our friendship like here's that. The th- here, here's the thing. Living in America, like, we are surrounded by a lot of Liverpool fans who are <laughs> like, like what Liverpool. What are you talking about? Like Liverpool fans worldwide, pretty insufferable. Uh-huh. And there's like, Donnie, do you know how many you're Arsenal, an Arsenal fans? Fan. Yeah, all like American <laughs> hipster dudes are Arsenal fans. That's all I ever meet. I'm just like, saying. I'm just saying. In compare, relative to Manchester City fans, of which there are very few in America. So for, for now, that, for yeah, for now, for now, I think all the 13 year olds are probably like going to be Man City and like PSG fans. <laughs> yeah, probably. we just had Tower Tots on the podcast. To talk yeah, about I told it. him he's the only Manchester City fan in all of America. But anyway, so the smoke is clear. Manchester City are the champions. They finished the season winning 14 straight. But recency bias aside, you hear a lot of people talking about this being the best Premier League season ever. Of course, football was invented in 1992. We all know that. D- did you guys think that this was the best Premier League season ever? Mm. Or best title race yeah. ever? It's the two best teams ever, points-wise. Uh, and they were a point apart going into the last game of the season. I think, in my opinion, it's the two best teams in the world also. Um, and I just, it's hard for me to picture that almost ever happening again. And they, that sort of. Yeah, and they looked good while they did it. Well, I mean, yeah, it was like a, when it comes down to it, it's a 38, it's a 38 game season decided, and the 38th game is exciting, however you slice it. But it felt more like tense as in like who like a kind of whoever scores last type deal. I mean, like it was down the stretch, like city didn't drop a point for the final two months of the season. Like Liverpool was won eight games on the bounce to close it out. Like it was more so who is going to, it was tense. It was like, who's going to fuck it up? Not like it wasn't ridiculous by any means. It was just watching two excellent teams be excellent like down the down the stretch. To answer your question though, Donnie, I think that Leicester winning is probably a better story and one of the most amazing sports stories ever. And I think Aguero's last Two, second shot 2012. in 2012 is the best last day of a Premier League we'll ever see. I don't know how it could be any better than Wayne Rooney thinking that he's won the oh, Premier League man. and then not. And then not. <laughs> but uh, this was... Not only was this my favorite um, <clears throat> Premier League season for obvious reasons, even though Liverpool came in second, but I think it was like a really good example of a great football season. And it was a really great example of the multiplicity of experiences that are available to football fans out there. I mean, obviously, like this is this is somewhat based on like cheering for a team that's been really competitive for the last season or two or season or three. 
um, and has had historically uh, been in the mix a lot. But I think that really the coolest thing about it is just it was it was definitely my favorite Champions League that I've ever experienced. Um, and I thought that it just showed that, you know, even if you're Tottenham and you're fourth and, you know, you, things are looking down and then all of a sudden this amazing Champions League run can happen. And even if you're Watford and you're kind of mid-table and moving along, you still make it to the FA Cup final. And there's just... There's so many different things that can happen. And even though we didn't really get a really feisty relegation battle, I thought, you know, it, it just shows that when you watch like a lot of American sports, that it's really just, it narrows down, it funnels down to these sort of one or two different ways of experiencing it, winning or losing. And, and football kind of gives you a bunch of different ways of enjoying it. One other thing that I liked about the season is that all the non-City and Liverpool teams had their own like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. is this our year? And yeah. also we're in crisis moments. Like yeah. Arsenal's on beat run at the beginning of the season. Spurs going on that crazy run over the, you know, winter, the Solshire run with City or with uh, United. And then Chelsea, you know, Chelsea were neck and neck with Liverpool for the first three months of the year. And then it seemed like Sarri was going to get fired in yeah. January. And then they ended up finishing third. So that kind of texture to the season below the title race is also really, really fun to follow. But also, like, in the title race, just having it decided by the finest of margins. Again, like, you know, a single point in between the two teams. Like, Liverpool having the best Premier League run of any team besides City, like, in the in the modern <clears throat> Premier League era. Also, the fact that, I mean, you just think about it, and it's just like, there's the 11 centimeters across the goal line, you know, clearance that John's Millimeters. Millimeters, excuse me. Um... Also, the fact that uh, Riyad Mahrez missed that penalty in the in the scoreless draw at Anfield in October, mm-hmm. and then you know, like wins it on the final game of the season, essentially, like the Vincent Company strike. Holy shit! Yeah, it's all of those things are just you know, it was it was an amazing and it and it year. and it really showed why in a lot of ways. You know, we mostly talk about the Premier League, but like a, a European soccer season, but specifically the the Premier League, is in some ways the perfect competition because mm-hmm. you can make arguments about when things get scheduled or who had a better break with the run in or who had like a tougher Christmas or whatever. But ultimately, everybody plays everybody twice, and every game matters. And if Liverpool had beaten West Ham or if Liverpool had gotten three points off of Leicester or whatever, this is a we're talking about Liverpool's first title in, in decades. And now instead, it's a back-to-back City win, which will be great for them before they get kicked out of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to Chris's point, there is news breaking this week that uh, Manchester City, as has long been suspected, run afoul of financial fair play regulations and could face a ban for the Champions League next season. In which case, Arsenal as the fifth place team would get an automatic bid. <laughs> I'm not against it. Who would say no right now to like a college football style playoff, though? What happens if that hap- if Arsenal wins the Europa League and Man City get banned? Does that mean? I guess what, the permutations gets- would. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe United. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or does that does that work that way, or does it just that Arsenal? There's just the four Premier League teams. That yeah, I think it would just be Arsenal. I mean, in reality, what's going to happen is nothing's going to happen. But uh, sure. yeah, I think Arsenal would just replace Manchester City one for one. You mentioned, Micah, the company goal. So much has happened since we last recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week alone, there was the company goal against Leicester. There was the Liverpool comeback against Barcelona with the Trent Alexander-Arnold quick corner to Origi. And of course, Lucas Mora on Wednesday in Ajax, in, in Amsterdam. Which of those... 
was like the most indelible moment for you guys? Ryan, I'll start with you. Definitely the TAA quick corner. Um, it was a weird moment because uh, I I don't think anyone watching even knew what was happening. You know, it was sort of in the, the little bit of slack in a soccer game where you can kind of turn away for a second as everyone's getting ready. But, you know, the 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 fact that Liverpool won that game for nothing is really probably why Chris and I don't sound extremely depressed right now because, <laughs> um, you know, Liverpool are pretty heavy favorites to win the Champions League now um, and they at least have that game to play in. And, um, you know, if, if PA doesn't take that quick corner, who knows what happens. And, uh, you know, I might have even refused to call in. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that, like, uh, the like the fan reactions after the Wolves game were very, like, subdued like it wasn't like sad or anything it was just kind of like oh respect like you you got all the way to the end of the season you close it out with a really good win over wolves and we have the champions league final and however yeah but let me let me pause like, on that for a second because despite the champions having the champions league final which is obviously a major trophy isn't it somewhat disheartening to know that you could go a season losing only one match not win the title knowing that you probably won't reach that high of a you know that echelon again why well city city City, what makes you even say that they're like one of the younger teams in the premier league they have like presumably they'll they'll get some reinforcements over the summer they have two of the best fullbacks in europe pretty young they have the best center back in europe I would just venture to say that they're going to lose more than one match next season. I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, like City's on the decline. It was 100 points and now it's 98. Maybe. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I kind of agree with Donnie. One, one thing I've been thinking of is like, like we watch every Liverpool game and most of the Liverpool games this season were wins. So like you're watching the games and you're just seeing your team win. And you don't kind of realize that they're not the best team in the league until the actual end of the season. So, like, there's a world in the future, you know, 10 years in the future, Liverpool gets, like, 15 fewer points and still wins the Premier League. And, like, the like it'll feel weird because you'll be watching your team perform worse throughout the entire season. And then at the end, you would get the culmination. While this time it was like, hey, every game they're winning. Um, so it's, it's, I don't think it's disheartening. It's just kind of, uh, it's just strange. Yeah, I mean, not to say that they're not capable of contending next year. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But I think 97 points, I mean, didn't I read somewhere that that was like, that's more points than any of the Ferguson title teams. It's like, it's a stunning achievement. It's just, to me, it seems like it'll be difficult to repeat that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I think that the last couple of, especially the last week, has really been instructive in thinking about like I, I obviously like flags fly forever and titles are what matters and you throw up your hands and you're like okay this is like how many we've won and rings culture and all that I get that I mean like I totally like when, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl like it was a very clarifying moment and I realized that meant a lot to me but that being said man like I don't I won't ever forget Liverpool beating Dortmund in the Europa League semifinal. Like, you know, like they, what you can get out of a football team is not always summed up in whether or not you win the Premier League title. And I mean, I, you know, I, in some ways, like the thing I'm going to remember for the rest of my life probably is, is like 
watching the IX players collapse after Mora's last oh goal. Oh my God. Because that was just like, that's drama uh-huh. and theater that you never see on stage or screen. Yeah. Like that's ir- that's ir- like that you cannot replicate that in any other place but sports and in that specific kind of moment. It's it's very eloquently put, but also spoken like someone without trophies. But yeah, but, okay. So listen, like, uh, yeah, dig this, dig this, dig this, this is so. Like uh, they were kind of talking about this on Football Rebel the other day, and it was just kind of like, um, like the difference in between watching City be great and watching Liverpool be great is like, <laughs> you are like it just like I don't know. Liverpool was just more exciting. Like Manchester City was like watching a machine work. Once you saw Sergio Aguero score the equalizer against Brighton, you figured a second and a third and a fourth were coming. And it was probably going to be up the side, low cross, tap in. Up the side, low cross, tap in. I mean, like with the exception of the Vincent Company strike, which was just like one of the most ridiculous things I've seen, like to to clinch a title or whatever. But I mean, like anyway, to your point, I mean, like the moments that Liverpool provided were better than the ones that City provided. Brian Phillips, our colleague Brian Phillips kind of got into that in his essay about Liverpool last week. Let me just give a second shout out to the Lucas Moura goal because that really was, I mean, Kevin Clark wrote about it for our site, like an amazing moment. Speaking of moments, you know, obviously I'm an Arsenal fan, but I had to watch not only the replay of that, but I watched every post-match interview. I watched Lucas Moura's interview in Portuguese. I watched all the punditry post-game, just kind of like, it was like an incredible moment, not just a sporting moment, but a moment of like humanity where yeah. I felt like connected to people. Oh, Don, yeah. Donnie, like the thing I was going to bring up was uh, Mourinho's commentary on being right. know, and him. It was honestly like the the most relatable and human <laughs> I've ever seen him. And I, I actually like love Mourinho. I think he's an amazing character, but he was, he was so deeply affectionate towards Pochettino and how he was feeling. Right. And this idea that, um, you know, like fans think that the people who play the game, the people who manage the teams don't care about the team as much as those guys do. And he actually spoke about how lonely it is to be a football manager and how like hard it is to, because you you have to always sort of be this character that you're playing. And I just thought it was like this incredible bit of insight. It was. And he was so deeply moved by what Poach was going through. It was, it was, gorgeous he's been like phenomenal as like an in-studio analyst and he also say i mean he was loving it he really twisted the night he was lighting them up like (laughs) let let me uh ask this question of our xg god um obviously the (laughs) both the champions league final and the europa league final feature english teams tottenham and liverpool in the champions league chelsea and arsenal in the europa league a lot of people are pointing to this. This is for the first time ever for English teams. A lot of people are pointing to this as evidence of the Premier League's superiority. Do you think that's the case now in world football? Or is it something that you wrote a while back for the Ringer about how the traditional European superpowers such as Real Madrid, Bayern, PSG, etc. I guess PSG is not a traditional superpower, but Barcelona are kind of fading. Or is it just football is random? I think it's a combination of all three. I, I think the it's just really hard to not look at, you know, the fact that all of the European finalists are English and the best team in England is not one of those teams. And six of the 10 richest teams in the world are all British. So like 
taking all that together, it to me, it's yes, knockout uh, soccer is random, and we could have had much fewer English teams, but to me, it's a very sort of clean and obvious sort of example of the fact that the Premier League's huge financial advantage has finally caught up and created a com- competitive advantage too. Do you think that there's a, a an element of, first of all, style, like how intense Tottenham and Liverpool are able to play and how, um, especially, you know, with Liverpool at home, but even Tottenham on the road and even and like get, getting after it the way they did. And also the heightened level of competition in the Premier League where you literally can't lose a game if you want to win the title or get get stay in the top four. You have to like minimize all damages, whereas Barcelona can go out and play an alternative 11 mm. in the final weeks when they're getting ready for the Champions League. Mm, and, good point. you know, Juve wraps up eight titles in a row or whatever, but everybody has got to stay on their square and keep their head on a swivel in the Premier League. And it, it, it kind of like brings like a heightened level of competition. Do you think that's the case, Ryan, or do you think that's bullshit? I would lean towards bullshit just because we. it seems like the conversation over the past five years had been the opposite, that the Premier League is so competitive that that is why all the teams sucked in Europe. Um, and I think that was also part of the Real Madrid argument is that most years they were out of the La Liga title race, so they could just rest Ronaldo and everyone um, in the entire spring. And that was that kind of the the most obvious explanatory factor for why Real Madrid sort of was able to control a random tournament and win it for uh, four out of five years. So I think, I think more than anything, it's just, you're just seeing that like, it it goes back to the monetary advantage. Like the best managers are just in England. That's what I was going to say. That's what it is. It's Klopp and Pochettino. It's their style, but it's, it's because of how they can manage a game and motivate their team. Yeah. I mean, just watching the the Liverpool Barcelona game, it would be like the second leg, the second yeah. leg, the second leg. Uh, like after, like after it was three zero, and you like it was fi- like Barcelona was still like you know kind of sort of in their bag for the first like when they were still down only two zero, but like when Liverpool scores the third, like after the Genie and them goal in the fifty six minute. Like, it was just like Barcelona retreated within themselves. And it's like, I think that it was just like a the different stylistic thing where it's just kind of like, we're Barcelona and we can just be patient and then like it'll eventually come to us. Like, we can still just patiently build up. You kind of saw the same with Ajax against Tottenham as well. I mean, obviously Ajax haven't had the recent European success of Barcelona, but it didn't seem like they had a plan B or or a second style. I, that that see, I think that the two games are a little different. Mm-hmm. I, the the Ajax game f- just felt nuts to me. Yeah, the Liverpool game, I mean, it was unlikely, but there was something about Robertson like reducer putting a reducer on Messi and then like <laughs> shoving his head. Where I was like, does this ever happen to Messi? I was like, and there's like basically Mario Mandzukic was the last person right, to like, do has that. This happened to him since the San Siro. <laughs> yeah, you know, or so, or, or, or I, I have no idea. But like, does anybody in Spain? take Messi out and shove him in the head and then like have a, he has a cauldron around him basically. Pepe. <laughs> are yeah, you ma- are I you guess make- so. No, you're right. I guess so. Are you making the England grittership argument, Chris? No, I guess I'm just like, kind of like, I, I, this sort of goes to what I'm talking about, which is just the, uh, like that was a buzzsaw those guys ran into. Yeah. The, yeah. the Ajax Tottenham game, I, I, I would have to watch like three or four times to divine any kind of sense out of it. Yeah. I just don't understand how that happened. Yeah, I was I arguing that. Ajax- it, go ahead. With Ajax Tottenham, to me, it was Ajax ran them off the field in the first half, and then the 
uh, Pochettino makes a sub at halftime and the first 15 minutes of the second half are like the best 15 minutes I've seen any team in Europe play this season from Tottenham. <laughs> and then after that, it was like, it could have gone either way. Uh, you know, Ajax had a handful of counters that like, they had some one, great they chances. Post on a couple, they could have taken them to the corner. Who knows? And then it was just like, you know, the, the final moment at the end was yeah. just, I um, mean, the completely kind of outside of any analysis, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, like it just illustrates the the utter madness of the game that it was won on the very last second with a worm burner. Like, I mean, the slow rolling ball into the back of the net was Grass just, cutter. Yeah. An argument for away goal, right, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> Chris and Ryan, while I had both of you still here, how bullish are you? I mean, you mentioned Liverpool. I guess are heavy betting favorites heading into Madrid. How are you guys feeling? June 1st. I think that those guys are really... I, I I think those guys are really going to show up. I don't know if they'll win, but I think that those guys, just based on the comments that they made after the end of the Premier League season, um, I think that they're looking for a lot of vindication for how good they are in this Champions League game. And I think it'll be a good match. Be curious to see if Kane plays. Be curious to see if any of the English players wind up playing in the uh, Nations League in the interim, because I know that that's an issue. Uh, they have a, Nether- a match-, match against the Netherlands, I think. A week and- later. Yeah. Um, is it after the Champions League or before? It's after. It's like June 6th, I believe. But I think there is one before that that they're kind of, they were kind of talking about whether Southgate was going to stagger who plays when or whatever. But oh, there uh, might be a friendly or something, but they, okay. would be, they would be nuts to play in that. But yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited for it because I think that they, you know, they've been there before. They've been in a year, in the last three years, they've been, this is their third European final. So I think that they know what's at stake. Yeah. Football is random. Obviously, but I, I'm having a hard time convincing myself that Spurs can win. I mean, Ryan, are you nervous? I will say that it's kind of a weird situation to be in a Champions League final as a Liverpool fan and feel fully expect that your team should win. That's <laughs> kind of like the opposite of how the the club has sort of defined itself over the last 20 years. So that's weird. But it's like, yes, it's random. Tottenham have you know a bunch of extremely talented players that can make a difference um, in 90 minutes, as we saw with Sun, just basically single-handedly knocking City out of the Champions League. Um, but Liverpool's just, they're just the better team. It's just not particularly close. So, you know, I, I expect them to win, but it's like, you know, I, I can only be, you know, 70% confident. But I, but I think the main thing is like, this team is really good, like Chris said, and all of the players other than Milner, who will presumably be playing for another 30 years anyway, <laughs> are young. So like, it's just, it doesn't feel like a, I think for Tottenham, it's kind of like a, might feel like a one and done situation, but right. for Liverpool, it's, you know, they're, they're going to be good for the foreseeable future. So it's, the nerves aren't as high as they might be, is what I'll say. Michael, let me ask you this. I asked Kevin Clark this. Mm-hmm. If Kane is 100%, who sits? Kane. <laughs> wow. So you think they start Sonny and Mora? That's what. All, that's also I, what Kevin Clark said. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, you go with the hot hand. I mean, like, Kane has it's a... still hot almost a, three weeks after... Well, I mean, like, it, it's not... It's... <clears throat> I mean, I mean that in the in the abstract sense of the term. Yeah. You've been running with... No, with, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and Kane, Kane is maybe... Like, Kane is probably the best attacking option you have when he's healthy. But, I mean, in, even if it is 100%, it's a different thing being 100% in a tr- on a training pitch or 
Maybe like, he's more useful do... as a motivational speaker at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Just put on his football jersey and go out there and be a quarterback. Sit on the bench. Donnie, I got to bounce. Oh, okay. Um, guys, it was great talking to you about this, though. Thank yeah, you, Chris. Always love having you on the FC. Okay, Ryan's still here. We're going to do our Premier League exit surveys team by team. We'll start with the second place team, Liverpool, uh, for no other reason than because Ryan's here. Ryan, did Liverpool yeah. exceed, meet, or fail to meet your expectations this season? Massively exceeded. So before the season started, if you were to be told second place and a slot in the Champions League final, that's surpassing what you expected? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, if you you can zoom out far enough and be like, well, they were in the final last year and they were also the betting favorite to finish second. So like, <laughs> you know, congrats on that. But they 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 exceeded their bookie uh, over under total by 17 points. That's the most in the league. So it it's the bet. This is the best Liverpool team I've ever seen by far, I think. And I think it's Liverpool's had some incredible teams over the years. Um, but I think this is probably the best team they've ever had. So it's hard for me to um, have any nits to pick with that. And what was your top memory from the season? We mentioned the TAA quick corner. That could obviously be one. Salah's goal against Chelsea. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind? It's got to be the Barcelona game. Yeah. Um, if, if I can call that whole thing a moment. Yeah, you um, can. It, it's just, it's the kind of, it's the kind of thing where like that, like Chris said about the Dortmund game, like that. Anfield it, magic. You almost feel lucky to be a sports, a fan of this particular team to get to experience that, that moment. Yeah. Um, and I, that is almost like, it's hard for me to believe that the champions league final will be more memorable than that. To your credit, you low key called it in your newsletter. No grass in the clouds. Kind of, I, I low-key called it in my way of saying this could happen. <laughs> but you kind of charted out how it could happen. I actually didn't read the newsletter until after the game. And I was kind of like, damn, <laughs> Ryan kind of called it. All right, so who was Liverpool's MVP for you this season? I actually think this is a harder question to answer than um, sort of the stock answer, which is BBD, uh Van Dyke. I would still give it to him just because there's just this like... You watch, you know, Dan Lovren play, and he'll be <laughs> defending sort of one on one in the box, and somehow he'll slide to block a shot, and the ball hit his back and go back to the guy who's defending, who will now just have you know fifteen yards of space to dribble in on goal. While Van Dyke had, you know, hundreds of those situations this season where he'll just block the ball and it'll deflect to a fullback, or he'll literally just stop it under his foot and then start the attack forward. It's like the the elite elite shot blockers in basketball. They kind of keep it in play or like block it to themselves instead of like swatting it back to the other team. It's just this sense of calm that that phase of Liverpool didn't have um, at any point under Klopp until he arrived. But I do do think that there's an argument for Salah, um, despite him dropping off a lot from last year. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but someone looked at the sort of gold players scored and the effects that they had on results. So like if you tied a game with a goal and then it ended in a tie, it was worth one point, et cetera. So I had something like 24 points worth of goals and no one else in the league had more than 10. Wow. So he, 
he didn't score as much as last year, but the goals were sort of insanely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I, I think he's uh, weirdly somehow being underappreciated. This is why we miss you in our Slack, because we had a spirited discussion earlier today about Mane having a better season than Salah. But I didn't know that stat. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's, it's, I don't think Mane uh, had as good of a season as Salah. And I think Mane had probably his kind of 99th percentile season. All right, next question. Who is your does a 97 point team have an LVP, least valuable player? I don't know. Do, do they? This is it's really hard to answer because like at one point in the year it would have been Origi, but he's god now and Shakiri possibly too and uh but then, you know, he plays the ball that sets up Quinaldum. Kato um, was a little bit of a disappointment, right? He was, but he really came on the the second half of the season, it, you know, they had kind of that lull a bit, a bit at the end of the winter. And then basically he came into the starting lineup and the team just ripped off, you know, however many wins in a row they, they, uh, won. I, I mean, I think I'll say, I'll say Sturridge, unfortunately, mm. you know, the goal against Chelsea was huge and sort of <laughs> like the 85th most crazy moment um, of the title race. But uh, they just really didn't get anything out of him, um, which, you know, you look at sort of the fourth and fifth attackers on Manchester City. Um, you know, Leroy Sané is, is kind of their first guy, guy off the bench. Gabriel Jesus is like eighth on the depth chart. Um, so they're getting sort of world-class production from those guys and Sturge just couldn't quite do it for Liverpool. It really it hurts me a lot to say that, though. Yeah. Uh, I guess I can skip number five. Do you have the right manager? <laughs> we talked a little. We talked a little bit with Chris about expectations for next season or the daunting task of trying to uh, overcome City. Um, I mean, is there like what? Who's on? Who would you even buy this summer? We just talked about not having an LVP. I mean, where do you see? Like, how can you improve on a ninety-seven point season? The the obvious thing for me is kind of it goes to my answer for the previous question, if, if they can get like a kind of, you know, the team does, they have a ton, an under kind of spoken about story is that almost their entire team is in like the prime age, 24 to 29 bracket. So they do, they could use a couple guys that are like 22, 23, but I think the, the obvious area for improvement is um, just getting a fourth attacker who's roughly as good as Mane, Salah and Firmino. Um, which is really hard because that guy probably won't start every game. Um, but I think that there's probably a, you know, you, you go for like a 22, 23-year-old who um, can sort of spell those guys or come in when they get hurt and not have the team's production drop off at all. Is Fakir still available? Mm, I, I think they're probably sour on him from <laughs> the, the potential um, of his knees just giving out. Coutinho, come back. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs> and, and don't forget the Ox, like a new signing. The potential of Ox for being you and Nabi Keita um, has me feeling really good. On that note, we're going to talk to some of our Ringer colleagues about Manchester City, Chelsea, Spurs, come back and wrap up with Arsenal and United, and then give out our Premier League awards. But first, a quick break. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerFC. 
ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerFC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-F-C. ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-F-C. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're here with Tyler Tynes, Manchester City fan, the only Manchester City fan at the ring, or possibly the only Manchester City fan in the entire United States of America, actually. We got capes in my fan club. <laughs> Congratulations, champions, back-to-back. That's what we do. 98 points, two seasons, 198 points. We only live great. First place, beat off Liverpool. Were you nervous at all yesterday? We don't respect suckers. <laughs> We don't. We don't. So who 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 could be nervous about something like that? You know, this is this is our manifest destiny. So it only makes sense that we came out on top. First back-to-back champions since Manchester United in 2009. Don't even respect them. Sergio Aguero led the team, 21 goals. Young Thierry Henry. I mean, who who was what was that? Five straight seasons, 20 goals. Last time was Thierry. Yeah, I mean, some are calling him the best foreign-born Premier League player ever. Listen, <laughs> in assists, Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané tied. 10 assists. I cannot believe Leroy Sané had 10 assists. He barely even plays and he got 10 assists. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a pet problem. <laughs> so for this Premier League exit survey, Manchester City edition, the first question, I'm guessing I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Did Manchester City's performance exceed, meet, or fail to meet expectations this season? It definitely didn't exceed it because, you know, the Champions League. But I mean, I, I don't know how you could be disappointed with something like this, right? Like, they're the best team for two straight seasons in some of the best soccer we've seen, especially this year, and, and with some real competitors. Yeah. I mean, we were always going to win, but it's great that everybody else stepped up to make it interesting. Right. Um, so I, I can't be mad at this. City actually, as you guys may know, have another trophy to play for, the FA Cup, which is at Wembley this weekend. They're playing Watford, so they could win, having already won the Carabao Cup, the domestic treble. I heard some people on some BBC call-in show saying, and these were probably salty Liverpool fans, but they were saying that they rather win the Champions League than win the domestic treble. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But I guess the point being the Champions League final or the Champions League trophy, especially since Pep hasn't won it in England. Yeah. And he has already won the Premier League last year. For City fans, do you feel like the Champions League trophy is kind of like the elusive grail? And this season, while obviously not a failure, isn't as great as it could have been? I mean, no. You know, in in, in one respect, this is like asking like those 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 
those end of the 2000s Lakers teams, like, are you mad if Kobe didn't win extra MVPs, right? Like, I, I, we don't care. We're already <laughs> spoiled. So it's like, oh, do you want another trophy on the five that you have? Nah, fam, we're good, right? Like, it, it'd be different if we were losing somewhere, but because, you know. So basically the Champions League is like the Community Shield or whatever. Champions League's Community just, Shield. Just a little, tr- just a little trophy. It's, it's like a lapel pen. It's not going to take away from the suit, baby. Come on. So what was your... Top memory from the season. I'll be surprised if it's not Vincent Company top yeah, draw I mean, against Leicester, but you might have something else. Nah, it's it's company. Yeah. You know, it's it's company. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was so spicy. That, I mean, that was a magical moment. Had Liverpool and Tottenham not had over historic comebacks the following two days, we would still be talking about the company goal, but it kind of got forgotten. It was so, so spicy. Because yeah. it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just a no, no, yes. Right where you're watching, you're like, no, you're like, no, like I don't need that, you know. But but then they it, were, it was so special. They and were for a guy like that too. The Leicester defenders were looking at company like defenders look at Ben Simmons about to shoot, you know, like they just back like up. let him, yeah, like, just, like let him, let him just, mangle, just, let him just mangle. go for it, you know. But like plus the ball placement, you know what I mean? Like it'd be different if he just let one loose. Nah, that was that was. Yeah. That was special. That was the ghost of Yaya Torre. That was a magical moment. Boot. Oh, speaking of Yaya Torre, I don't know if you saw in the in the celebrations yesterday, but Yaya Torre was out there, I think, for Sky Sports in a suit, and all the players were, like, jumping on him and stuff. So I thought that was a good moment. It's as much his trophy as everybody else's. Who was Manchester City's MVP this season for you? It was Raheem Sterling. Because who else would it be? Raheem Sterling. It was Raheem Sterling. The God. The Jamaican Prince. The Prince who was promised. Raheem Sterling. Okay, we know you love Raheem Sterling. Right, who is the second MVP? Um, <clears throat> you know, if if Sané actually played, it probably would have been him. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously Aguero. I mean, you. There's just, I mean, he's a, you know, he can be a frustrating player at times, but these games are so long, so you kind of forget things, kind of wane where he's. Uh, you assume he's not going to be good, or he's not going to finish, or he's not going to be able to do a bunch of different things. But reliable he's, is he's the word. He's just so good. Yeah, and that is the word. He's reliable. You know, he's so good for a team that finished with. 98 points. Is there even an LVP least valuable player? Or, you know, I could be petty and say a lot of different names. Go ahead. You be know, petty. Like, like Ghostface. Like I could say a lot of names. You know what I mean? But, I, you know. Say, say, Oda, one, say one. Otis Trash. You know, and I really wanted to believe he wasn't. But he's, Foden? No, not Foden. Foden no. Oda, Oda Mendy. Oda Mendy. Oh, Oda Mendy. Oda Mendy's trash. Oda Mendy's trash. I think, um, I think the Guardian had him rated as the worst defender on the, on the team. Yeah. And like, like the only he, ba- who, he barely saw the pitch for like the last... Right, Half of the season. Like the only people close to him rating wise, I think, was like Fabian Delph, mm-hmm. who didn't isn't even playing his natural position at this point. Yeah, young Gabby, who's not even getting starts at this point. Yeah. you know, and so he, he's kind of a disappointment. You know, I would say Laporte, but uh, Laporte, I don't respect <laughs> that man. I can't even say his name right. Um, but o- Oda was just cons- consistently trash. It should be mentioned had a huge goal yesterday uh, on Sunday. He did. Um, he looked like he he stopped smoking cigarettes. I feel like <laughs> he is French. I, I have <laughs> this question, which I think I know the answer to. I'll ask you anyway. Do you have the right manager? I you, mean, yes. you, you kind of don't. <laughs> yes. You pray to the shrine of Pep, or, or I, I don't. I don't pray to it, but I know where the church at. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I, I don't show up on Sundays, but they they still got my email. You know, <laughs> like I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend because we've been talking about this last time I was here. You know, there's some tactical issues. There's some bright light issues in the Champions League stage. But, like, my man rocks Infinity Scarfs in 2019, and he's still bringing home domestic trophies. Baby, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want? So, leading into the next question, which is the expectations for 2019-2020, we just talked about how the one trophy missing from Pep's trophy case in England is the Champions League. 
if I were to give you this proposition, mm-hmm. a city do not win the Premier League next season, but win old big jug years, the Champions League trophy, would you take that? I mean, we take trophies over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's that's obviously hypothetical because City's going, you know, three peat. So I mean, what 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 do you really expect? But at least at least one extra stage in the Champions League, I'll be happy. I don't how, need the trophy. How bullish how bullish are you on the three peat? We're gonna take it. I mean, who, who's who's actually in our way? I'm not afraid of anybody in England. I don't even respect the country. But Manchester City all of a sudden sold some of their players of African and Caribbean descent. You would uh switch your allegiance to another team? Nah, I mean, it would have to be real drastic, right? <laughs> like the whole team has to look like Ireland for for me to like be like, oh, I'm switching up. You know what I mean? It would have to be something crazy. So you don't fuck with Burnley? No. <laughs> no, I don't I mean what no. <laughs> no. Um I again, like I said, if I was picking again right now, I'd probably I, I told Chris Ryan this, I'd probably pick Liverpool or, or United. Um, because I mean, say what you will about United, Paul Pogba's maybe the best player in the world. So I mean that that's near and dear to my heart right there. So I, I mean I'd probably go off that. But Yaya was so swaggy in 2013. I mean, what do you want from me? Yeah. That's an acceptable response. All right, Tyler. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Peace. And now for our Premier League exit survey, Chelsea edition. For this, I'm bringing in Chelsea superfans, Miles Surrey and Gonzalo Higuain lookalike, Shakar Saman. What's up, guys? Much like Gonzalo, I also miss any close chances I have on that. <laughs> I'm feeling a little better. I feel like how N'Golo Kante looks. Just wholesome and ready to go. <laughs> He's adorable. As you all know, Chelsea finished third in the Premier League this season on 72 points, which is a two-place improvement over last season in which they finished fifth and at 70 points, leading the team unsurprisingly, Eden Hazard, 16 goals, twice as many as his next closest teammate. Who do you think finished second? Pedro. Wow, Pedro. Miles, you are a Chelsea super fan. <laughs> also 15 assists, leading the Premier League, the Premier League Playmaker of the Year. In fact, according to Football 365, Hazard scored 26% of the league goals scored by Chelsea players, contributed 29% of their assists, had 22% of their shots on target, and created 20% of their chances and completed 31% of their dribbles. And he's almost 100% gone because News Today is reporting that Real Madrid, as many have suspected all season, are in for Hazard. Uh, The announcement is not coming until after the Europa League final. How do you guys feel about Hazard skipping town? It's a real shame. We don't know what's happening. <laughs> For My, sure. Miles is still holding on hope that they're going to I'm hold. in denial, frankly. Shaka, how do you feel about Eden Hazard, the guy who's basically the one-man team, the, your LeBron? You know, it's always it's always upsetting when the thickest player on your team leaves. Is he thicker than yeah, you guys? He he's thick with like seven Cs, my man. Uh, <laughs> he, he's the best player on the team. He's... I think the longest tenured player on the team at this point. He's been around mm. for quite a while. Um, for the last couple seasons, he's been, you know, we want to take a basketball term. He's the only guy who can create his own shot. And as like the leading playmaker as well, the only guy who can create anybody else's shot. Um, no, it, it's a bummer a, to see it, him go, but it's also been expected for the last year or so. Here's a question from Miles. Does, Pul- sure. does Pulisic, Christian Pulisic, who of course is coming this summer, get the number 10? Um. Uh, or do, you, I, or do you care? I, I don't care. But <laughs> I, 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 I hope that um, with enough time and patience and with the idea that we can retain Calum Hudson-Odoi, get him a contract extension, I feel like 
having them both on the wings, that's not the worst future to have, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the exit survey questions for the 2018-19 Premier League season. I'll ask both of you each of these questions. Question number one, did Chelsea's performance exceed, meet, or fail to meet your expectations? I'll start with you, Miles. Sure. So, yeah, I think they met expectations. Uh, I think going into the season, any reasonable Chelsea fan would understand there's like a huge divide between them and then Liverpool and City. Right, 25 points to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I think like in an ideal scenario in the Premier League, you want to be the best of the rest. And securing a top four finish, gain that Champions League qualification, I think that's, you know, what we wanted to achieve. Um, we did make the Carabao Cup final. And we still have the Europa League final, you know, uh, in what, a week and a half, something like that? May 29th. Yeah. So we... Um, so yeah, we still have a chance to get some silverware. So yeah, I, I think we met expectations. Shaka, do you agree? Yeah, I think on paper we met expectations. I also think that I don't know. It 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 I don't know what to take away from this season in one like Miles saying where, you know, we finished third in Premier League. We were the best of the rest. We're in the Europa League final. We accomplished everything we set out to accomplish. But God, it just wasn't fun doing it. I, I didn't enjoy myself watching this team all that much this season which is wild to think that they pretty much met everything I was hoping they'd do. Is that because of Sorry Ball? Sort of. I mean, Sorry Ball is objectively a very pretty style of soccer, but it's not one that I think meshes that well with this roster. Yeah, it's also because of no, I mean, Iguain notwithstanding, <laughs> no real number nine. Yeah, no real number nine, whether it's Iguain or the ghost of Alvaro Morata or <laughs> the false Giroud. Giroud, the false nine Eden Hazard that we're playing up there. Um, yeah, it, it left me wanting something more, but that being said, if you're asking me, did we meet expectations? We absolutely did. 72 okay, points is an improvement from last year. We finished third. We're in the Champions League, regardless of what happens in the finals in the Europa League. Like it's, mm-hmm. I guess, a good season. All right, so let's move on to the top memory from this season. Before you guys go, I'll give you mine. It's when Keppa refused to come out in the Carabao Cup <laughs> final, and, and Maurizio Sarri was gesticulating angrily, and it was just a hilarious moment. He was rising to meme glory. Yeah, That's exactly meme what glory. Exactly, Miles. What was your top memory from the season? Um, I think without a doubt, it was uh, beating Man City at the Bridge. Uh, the first half was was a bit fluky. Um, you know, City City were dominating, and we had, like, one counterattack at the end when N'Golo Conte scored. It was honestly, it was very, like, Antonio Conte-esque of us. But then uh, we dominated the second half. I think those 45 minutes were emblematic of, like, the sorry ball that sorry wanted to play, you know, where everything's kind of falling into place. Like, we were playing really well, getting out of pressure, getting out of tight spots. Hazard was creating chances. We got a second goal, I think, off a of Luis header. Um and so, you know, it was early enough in the season that I thought, you know, we were going to be really, really good. And obviously we had a lot of stumbles since then. But but I think that was a good sign that, you know, when everything's clicking, this team could be pretty devastating. Chakra and you, top yeah, memory? I, I actually have to take the same one, you know, especially considering that the next time we played City, we just got absolutely destroyed. Uh, the fact that we went into the bridge 1-2-0, uh, that Miles and I's shared son, N'Golo Conte, was the one to score effectively the mm-hmm. game-winning goal. Yeah, I think that was the high watermark of the season. Either that or beating Spurs 2-0 in uh, the end of February. Those mm-hmm. two games for me are ones that I'm like, yeah, you know, that that was a really fun moment. I mean, you could make the case that that Spurs victory is actually what kept us in third and secured yeah. top four. All right, moving on. Team MVP, I suspect <laughs> I know the answer, but Miles? 
Marcus Alonso. No, it's uh, Aiden Hazard. Um, yeah, so like, yeah. It's not his... Conte. I thought you were going to say Conte. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he he had a better season, though, I think. Like, the the narrative around him was that he's being he's playing out of position, and I agree. I mean, he's like the best defensive man on the planet, but he was a very, very good, like, in an advanced role. I think, like, that was overshadowed a bit because we were talking about how he's playing out of position, but it has to go to Hazard. Um I forget the exact percentage. It's like 49 point something, but that that's what Aiden Hazard accounted for between goals and assists for our team this year. Yep. It is very LeBron in the final year with the Cavs-esque. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the the notion of him uh, leaving, which I would say probably has like a ninety five percent chance of happening, uh, is is definitely a bit terrifying. Yeah, shocker. You agree? It has to be Hazard. You know, combined between his goals and assists, accounts for thirty one goals this season. Um, you you look at like the rest of this, like is it leads the team in xG by double the next highest, who is wildly Alvaro Morata, who only played sixteen games. You know. Leads in by almost double in expected assists. Uh, just is part of every single buildup. Is the only really consistent piece of offense that the team has had all season. And I mean, if you want to talk about the last couple of years, same deal. Uh, he is the centerpiece of this team. He is the spirit of Chelsea. Uh, he's leaving, and so I guess it's on to the next is, one. Is your but, is your voice breaking? It's just been a really hard week, Donnie. <laughs> no, uh, no. It, he he's certainly the MVP. It's been fun to watch him these last couple of years. It's sad to see him go. Um, How about that goal against West Ham? Oh, man. That was awesome. All right. Team LVP. Miles. Marcus Alonso. <laughs> I was thinking about Shaka, doing Higuain. You know, do you but... hate Marcus Alonso as much as Miles does? Not nearly Miles as much. Miles hates Marcus Alonso with the fury of a thousand sons. I, I really do. So I... I have a soft spot for Marcus Alonso because there was a point last year where I think he was our second leading goal scorer. He he was no he's great he was great as a left wing back in that in the Conte system but holy crap playing as a traditional left back he got exposed a lot. Marcus yeah. Alonso occasionally is the best left back on the planet and then occasionally is the worst left back in the Premier League and he just decides each week what he's going to be. Uh, he he made a lot of interesting decisions this season. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's made a lot of. Though. We're going to talk about. It. He's made a lot of interesting decisions in his life. Yeah, <laughs> we won't get into that. All right, Shaka, who's your LVP? Uh, LVP. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Maurizio Sarri. Ooh, I've been really underwhelmed by him. When he was signed, uh, I was really excited. I thought, you know, I was sad to see Antonio Conte go, but I thought Sarri was a really interesting steward for the club. Uh, you know, there was that New York Times profile that came out about how he lives his life. He's a little quirky. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm all in on this guy. And then, you know, he buys Jorginho. And I'm like, oh, cool, Jorginho and Conte. This could be fun. The cool pairing. Um, and then he he shunted my son to, uh, to, to a, a role that I did not appreciate him in. We had the best defensive midfielder on the planet and decided not to use him as such. And though Conte kind of flourished to an extent in his new, more attacking role, uh, it just kind of felt like trying to use a square peg to shove it into a round hole. And so, yeah, um, you know, maybe there's a chance to improve once Sari gets his guys. But with the current makeup of the roster, I, I got to give Sari the LVP here. So Shocker kind of answered the next question. So I'll just mm-hmm. pose this one directly to Miles, which is, do you have the right manager? So I, I kind of have an answer that combines that question and the final question, which is like the expectations for next season. And I think it's it's just a bit complicated at the moment because I think it depends 
on what happens with this like impending two window transfer ban that could be leveled by uh, FIFA because we're still so what's appealing the, the process. On that? I think the appeal was overturned, well, right? We're appealing through the uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport, and so uh, we'll we'll find out. I think within the next couple months, like whether. Uh, the ban has like a temporary, like it's lifted until like the next window right. or something. So basically we'd have the whole summer to to sign whoever we want. Right. Conceivably, you could yeah. have just 86 million pounds for Eden Hazard just sitting there on, yeah. uh, on ice. Uh, yeah, because basically the only guy we would get to keep is Pulisic because right. that was already. Uh, but yeah, so if the ban is lifted temporarily and we can uh, sign players this summer, I would want to keep Sire around because um, I think some of the issues this season were his fault where he was very rigid you know he's like I want to stick to my system even though it was clear he didn't have all the right players for it but I think that if he had uh, but he you know he was inheriting a team from Conte that was designed to play like a 3-5-2 and I think if he gets a few more players in because basically the only guy he really got was Jorginho and Kovacic and Kovacic kind of just came as like a freebie for the and, and Kovacic thing. might be going back to Madrid yeah so I think, you know, give him some some players that he wants. Honestly, just get us new fullbacks. Um, I shouldn't be, like, praising, the like, Emerson starting because he's not that good, but, you know, he's just not Marcus Alonso. But if the band sticks, I, I think we should let Sari go and hire Frank Lampard. Let's do a little rebuild. Frankie might be in the Premier League next year. You never know. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, actually, I have a question for you guys. Do you think, just a yes or no question, both of you, do you think Maurizio Sari has ever hit a jewel? I think he uh, has a He pax. doesn't know what a jewel is. I think he has a pax and he keeps it in a sock. Kasari famously chews on little cigarettes during the match because he's so addicted to nicotine. Yeah. I feel like if he could just sort of clandestinely hit the jewel on the touchline, like he might be a little less stressed and therefore a better manager. That's an interesting take. Is this yeah. a sponsor but, breakout, but he, is a, he is a swag god. I think I'm going <laughs> to send a jewel starter kit to Stamford Bridge addressed to Maurizio Sarri. <laughs> I'm sure that'll make it through security. Right. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, and worst of luck in Baku. You still have Mustafi. I wish you <laughs> nothing but a dozen years of Mesodozo. And we're back with our Premier League exit survey, Tottenham Hotspur edition. For that, I'm bringing in my colleague, Spurs superfan, Kevin Clark. I need you to know, Donnie, that I just, you heard this, but I was choking on water quite violently before I got on. And I was wondering if I died, uh, <laughs> this would be an amazing time to go out. Just a couple days after one of my best sporting experiences of all time, uh, getting ready to talk Premier League. I mean, this would have been a good note to go out on. Had I choked on water. In, now you can die in peace. Everybody should go to the ringer.com great website and read Kevin Clark's very emotional recap of Lucas Mora's game-winning goal that qualified Tottenham for the Champions League final in Madrid on June 1st. I, I would like to add, I was talking to a friend of mine and maybe a, a former Ringer FC co-host the other day, and mm. we were talking about how different soccer writing is in Europe and in American sports writing. And one of the points uh, that came up was how emotional it is and how it's it's still a little bit... You know, I think we're a little more um, tied to there's maybe more tactics writing when you talk about football or even basketball than there is uh, over there. It's a little more about you know what people felt, and I, I I thought about that and I was like, man, if I was a soccer writer, I write more about analytics, blah, blah 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 blah. And then as soon as that happened, I just went right to the emotional part, and 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 you sort of understand why. I mean, it was so, it can be such an emotional thing that all you can write about is the emotions. But that's an aside. You did an admirable job, Kevin. Thank so, you. 
we're here to talk about Tottenham and their Premier League performance. First of all, we should say they finished fourth in the league on 71 points. Fourth which place is actually trophy, which you're familiar with. Fourth place trophy, the Arsene Wenger Memorial fourth place trophy. It's actually one place lower than they finished last season. Mm-hmm. Last season, they finished third at 77 points. And of course, as we mentioned, they are in the Champions League final in Madrid to play Liverpool. So, Kevin, did Tottenham's performance exceed, meet, or fail to meet your expectations for this season? Uh, exceed. I think that making the Champions League semifinals was the cutoff for exceeding. I think that if they'd gone out on the Sterling no goal, I think that would have met expectations. Um, Finishing for Champions League football, making the quarterfinals, that would have been fine. Um, Semifinals was exceeding, and then final is just beyond uh, anyone's wildest dreams. So, you know, assuming that the Lucas Moura goal is the top memory from this season for you, which it should be, what's the second top memory? Is it opening the stadium? Is yeah, it sunny I, I, against Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, we had so many great results. I would say the first, what, 30 minutes of the Man City game were just mm-hmm. unbelievable. And then obviously the the VAR. The second, the second leg of the Champions the second, League. I'm sorry, yeah, the second leg against Man City. And the VAR, sort of no goal, um, which as we discussed in this pod, I was not around for because I turned it off in frustration. <laughs> and then I turned it back on a minute later in case there was something. And I I thought my computer was broken or whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but I definitely <laughs> didn't think VAR disallowed the goal. Um, so I would probably say that game. Um, I know that seems shallow to say that the, the best moment is the Champions League semifinal and the second best moment is the Champions League quarterfinal, but that's just sort of the way the season broke. Who was your team MVP this season? Great question. Now, of course, Harry Harry Kane led the team in scoring 17 goals. Yeah, Harry Kane was it. However, Harry Kane has not been around. Um, right. Unfortunately, picked up that knock. I would say it's probably a tie between Son and Kane. And I think right now... I thought you were going to say Sissoko. Yeah, well, I wanted to say Sissoko for for trolling reasons <laughs> because Soko, Sissoko gets so much stick around here. Um, I thought about that. I think there's probably some some more unheralded players. Um, I mean, hell, given his contributions last week, I would say Lucas Moore is in the conversation, although the consistency <laughs> wasn't there. Uh, Toby Adebayeld, uh, obviously, just just an incredible center back, and I would say that. Uh, you know, there's the Ericsson is is just the model of consistency. But I twelve would say assists that, for Ericsson. Yeah, I would say that that on the whole, I would give it to both the forwards, uh, Kane and Son. And, and if you had to make me guess or excuse me, make me pick, I would pick Son just because of of his uh, continued excellence while Kane was injured. Yeah, in fact, I think so, he did pick up Player of the Year he did. Uh, for the team. Let me ask a follow-up question to that, and this is a question that's going around now, all the pundits in the yeah, run-up the to the Champions League final. If Harry Kane is 100% healthy, which is a big if, but let's just say he is, who starts up front against Great Liverpool question. and Madrid? Great question. Okay, so I have PTSD from this question, and here's why. <laughs> you probably don't remember this, but everybody in the Orlando Magic fandom does. That, that's that's the, my childhood team. That's everybody. Uh, that's that's the team I, I fly across the country to see a playoff game for. Uh, they lost a, their starting point guard, Jameer Nelson, in 2009, January 2009. Yeah, I and definitely don't remember that. But he yeah. was out for the entire playoff run, replaced by a very bad point guard, Ray Ferralson, and at one point replaced by Ty Lue, uh, future, future Lakers coaching candidate Ty Lue. <laughs> and, uh, and they got to the finals. And Stan Van Gundy panicked and put him back in almost immediately, as soon as he was cleared. He was, it wasn't cleared until the final. 
And it wasn't even talked about that he was going to be back. And then Jameer, I believe, started the second quarter of that game of, of, of the first game. I want to say that. I want to make that correct. Um, he he. They basically reinserted him and gave him a decent amount of minutes right off the bat. And that he did not play very well. Uh, he didn't foul in one of the biggest possessions of the game. And I just feel like when you have rust, it's a really bad time to insert a guy into the finals. Um, my idea would be to not start him, mm. would be to bring him on later, seeing as the game. I mean, I think that Kane should play regardless. I think Kane should play if they need a goal. I think they, I mean, if it's if it's 1-0 in the 65th minute, I think you think about not playing him. I, I don't know. But I think that just for emotional reasons, he should play. But um, I would not start him having seen in a weird way that that sometimes that's the speed. Of, there's no faster. I see this at the Super Bowl, right? You think the game is so fast when you watch a football game, NFL game in October and November, and then you see the Super Bowl and you realize how much desperation there is, how much faster the game is. There's right, throwing them into that. Yeah, there's going to be no faster, more desperate game than, than June 1st. And I just feel yeah. like you need to ease him in, maybe only play him 25 to 30 minutes. I will say this, I was looking at the lineup of the last Liverpool-Tottenham match, and in the second half, there was like 30 or so minutes where Kane, Sonny, Erickson, Deli, and Moro were all on the pitch at the same time. So it is possible to deploy all of them at once. Oh, absolutely. Desperate measures. All right, so who was the team's least valuable player? Mm. If you believe Twitter, it was Kieran Trippier, yeah. but I'm sure you have somebody else in mind. No, I don't. I mean, why? Does, why? Trippier, does Trippier get too much stick? It he seems does. Like well, all okay, of a sudden hold he's on, like the worst, worst player in the Premier League. Hold on. This is what I wanted to preface this with. This is a team that's making the, the Champions League final. Correct. This, there is no Soldado here. Okay. I mean, there is in Vincent Janssen, but he doesn't even play, right? Um, and, he's, and he's on the squad just basically because of the scheduling mix-up. And... So um, obviously he's, he's he wasn't even around. He can't, he's not an LVP consideration. But there's no historically bad sort of Vlad Cherich's, Roberts uh, Soldado. Like those guys are not around right now. And so I mean, Dejan Lovren played a Champions League final, but yeah, continue. Right. So but what I'm saying is, is that the, the, a starter in the Champions League final is still pretty good. If the if the worst player we have is Kieran Trippier, who by the way probably has some some fatigue left from the World Cup, we're in pretty good shape. Right. Fair. Everybody else is at least pretty good, I would say. Um, yeah. You know, Sergio has has not uh, has not performed up to the club's expectations, but that's sort of separate. I mean, they're probably going to have to uh, look at some some fullbacks in the transfer window. But there's a lot of grading on a curve here when you're dealing with that. Gotcha. All right, so I'm going to skip the next question, which is, do you have the right manager? Because obviously you do, and, and go right into— I hope he stays forever. I'm going to go right into the expectations for next season. Um, obviously we don't know if they're going to be lifting the trophy in Madrid, but if they aren't, if they don't, and they're not favored to do so, um, you know, the trophy lists claims will continue or accusations, I guess, against, uh, this reign. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's interesting if we, if we win the champions league, I think the expectations next year would be the league, right? Um, I don't know what the expectations are if, if they lose. Um, I think that this run in the Champions League has shown what's possible. I'd also say in a weird way, seeing what Man City has done, which is keep a Liverpool team that did everything right out of 
title contention. Maybe we're not that team that can topple them, and maybe we just try to be a very, very souped-up cup team. Uh, and I'm, when I don't mean cup team like Arsenal was a couple of years ago where they <laughs> win the FA Cup, I mean winning, trying to win the Champions League every year. <laughs> you mean real cups, right? I mean real cups. Cups you will care about. Not beating Hull. But do you feel like, you know, you guys finished 26 points behind Liverpool? Uh, do you feel right. like that That's that what I'm gap- saying. I'm, say- I'm saying that the expectation will naturally be to win the league if we win the Champions League because that's just what the Champions League... Uh, winner is expected to do, but I don't. I don't necessarily know if we have the squad to over thirty-eight games perform like that. Right. The game is about glory, Donnie. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen the signs around our stadium. We don't care about all thirty-eight games. We care about the moments that make the moments, my man. I've actually read the book, The Glory Game, about your Tottenham Hotspur. It's such anyway, a on good that note, book. Best of luck in Madrid, Kevin. It's not on Kindle, is it? Did you read it on on paper? No, no. I had I have to order the it. Analog print book. Me too. It's like the last analog book I ever read. Huh. We might we we might actually have a emergency reaction pod to the final, so uh, we'll speak to you then. I think I think that's a knowing how I'm going to watch the game. I think that's a mistake. <laughs> We're going to call just, you I'll anyway. Leave it at that I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Okay, thanks to Tyler, Miles, Shocker, and Kevin for coming on. We're going to talk about Arsenal and Manchester United with Micah and Ryan. But first, another quick break. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you use any of these excuses or others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and use ride-sharing services, too. Cops are on the lookout and writing tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. And we're back. Fifth place now. My beloved. <laughs> My hell the turntables. <laughs> I'm going to start asking you the questions now, Donnie. Please do. Please do. Uh, so, Arsenal, coming in fifth, probably going to walk into the Champions League on a technicality, depending upon how Manchester City's Champions League ban goes. Um, Sheik Mansur is apparently ready for a very lengthy legal fight. One, did your team's performance this season, A, exceed, meet, or fail to meet your expectations? I'm going to go with a solid B, met expectations. Last season, of course, Arsene Wenger's last season at the club. The team finished sixth, 63 points. Europa League semifinalists. This year, we finished fifth, 70 points. So that's plus seven. So a place up, plus seven points. And we're in the Europa League final. So that's improvement. Like that's literal improvement, tangible improvement. And that's kind of what I wanted. And so, yeah, they met expectations, I would say. If they do beat Chelsea and Baku on May 29th, then it might even exceed expectations. Oh, wow. I saw, you know, the three of us did the over-under um, at the beginning of the season, and I presume um, none of us got any of our predictions wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Arsenal, was uh, their over-under was 69.5, and they got 70 points. So a B sounds right to me. <laughs> well, 
Um, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on with Arsenal met expectations this season with the possibility to exceed them if they beat Chelsea in Baku. But what's your top memory from the season? I was going over the season in preparation for this, and I still couldn't find a moment that topped for me the North London derby at the Emirates in early December. Lucas Torreira's first ever goal. Just the moment it put uh, Arsenal up four to two. It was just an amazing goal. And that's my top memory. That's kind of sad that it's a December match. <laughs> it's a December match. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know. The thing that, I, while I do remember that goal from that game, the thing that I actually remember most is Lucas Torreira in the corner with uh, Eric Dyer and, uh, and Muzi Sissoko. Uh, oh, sorry, not Muzi Sissoko. Wait, Danny Rose? I think it was no, because I remember it was like it was. It might have been Eric Dyer and Davison Ch- Sanchez somehow, and he was just in the corner holding both of them off. Yeah, and it was one of the most hilarious images I've ever seen because he manages to squeeze out of it and distribute the ball, and they're both like twice his size. <laughs> yeah, there was you know that was in the midst of a long unbeaten run, and and there was a lot of promise before it, the season went to shit as it usually does. <laughs> <laughs> before the Arsenal end, um, so. Who was your who was Arsenal's MVP this season? It has to be Obama Yang, co golden boot winner with Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. Um I was Arsblog was saying this and I totally agree that for s- such a prolific striker, he does miss a lot of sitters. Um <laughs> but he was just dependable. I mean, twenty two goals speaks for itself, thirty one in all competitions. Um I think the main takeaway from this season for me is that Obama Yang and Lacazette should be started together. Yeah, like our strike partnership because it was unclear at the beginning of this year if that if that were, you know, the best deployment. And uh Wenger could never really figure out how to get them together, uh usually shunting one out to the wing or you know, in a formation that didn't maximize their skills, but Obama Yang had 22, I think Lacazette had 13 or so in the league, so um, you know, I'm happy about that. I mean, that's like the strength of the team right now and I and I think in, in the modern Premier League, having two prolific scores is a good thing. Now we're going to, you know, award the corn cob here. Who was your <laughs> least valuable player and why was it Skodra Mustafi? Every, yeah, everything that Ryan just said about VVD is like just the exact opposite for Mustafi. Uh, I, I feel bad for piling on. I mean, there's YouTube. Do you remember when he was linked with a move to Juventus? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when thinking when I think it was 35 million we bought him for we thought that was a bargain because he was just coming off the World Cup and everything but I don't want to pile on too much because I think I, I actually do see some some you know like Mustafa you can always say at least he's up for it you know I mean if you're going to give him some kind of backhanded <laughs> compliment my real LVP I think is Dennis Suarez who we got on loan from Barcelona it's like the most useless January signing ever Barely even featured. When he did feature, he just was totally anonymous. At least Mustafi, you know, did some good things, scored some goals. Yeah, yeah you got another it's confident. It's amazing that uh, Licksteiner isn't even in the top two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Licksteiner, I don't know. I, At I have least Licksteiner doesn't, you know, like give up like horrible defensive gaps and then point at his goalkeeper invariably. <laughs> <sighs> so... There was a, a, I mean, like, it, as basically at the same time, and we discussed this on this podcast, at the same time that Rizio Sarri could have very well been on the way out of Cabo, the same 
sort of thing was happening with Unai Emery. Do you think that you have the right manager still? It's a good question. I'm, I might uh, pass this over to the XG God in a second because I think, you know, like any new manager, I feel needs like several transfer windows to sort of really implement his system or his philosophy. I mean, a, a factoid that I tried out a lot this season was that Jurgen Klopp finished in eighth in his first season with Liverpool. So, um, but the 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 million dollar question is, and, and Ryan, maybe you can speak to this, is like, what is Unai Emery's system? It's unclear. <laughs> I don't really know. It seems like he's unclear about five in the back, four in the back. You know, uh, it, it seems like from game to game, it, 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 you don't really see like a discernible, this is like the Unai Emery way. So I don't know. It see the the defining thing for me is that it seems like he almost overmanages in every game. Like he'll like the first half of every game is him sort of figuring out what he wants to do, and right. then he I don't know what the proportion is, but he he made so many halftime subs this year. He did, um, and we've talked about like this on the podcast before. Managers should a hundred percent use their subs more aggressively. So credit to him for that. But it just, I, I think that would kind of be my biggest concern with them. Their the underlying numbers aren't great. They have the eighth best expected goal differential in the league. But I think some of that is because they have um, Lacazette, who's just an incredible finisher. Um, Aubameyang less so, but just gets a ton of good chances. So I think, you know, that combined with the fact that it's just unclear what he actually wants to do with the team. Um, is concerning, but it's also, you know, it's uh, it's unclear what the roster even is and what the plan with that is. So, you know, I don't know how much of a plan tactically you can have when the players, like, there's no real kind of overarching sort of approach with the players you have either. Right. What are you expecting out of next season? I mean, like, you, you finish fifth, uh, you're in the Europa League final. You could possibly make it back into the Champions League. What do you expect from Unai Emery's men next season? I think it's top four. It has to be top four. And I do think that if they finish out of the top four next season uh, and don't reach like a, a Europa League final, then Emery will really be on the hot seat. So it's top four or bust. We had a year. I mean, I, I mentioned three transfer windows. I guess that would be three because he started in the summer, winter, another summer. So we'll see. All right, Micah, I'm turning the tables on you now. Mm-hmm. It was all good just a month, ag- <laughs> a month ago, two months ago. <laughs> oh, God. Nothing like closing the season, taking one out of a possible six points from relegated teams. Nothing like getting beat 2-0 at home by Cardiff City on the final game of the season. After beating PS- PSG in that... Kimbappe handball or not handball game. Two wins, two draws, eight losses. This is terrible. I was actually surprised to see that despite it all, Paul Pogba still led the team in both goals and assists. 13 goals and nine assists. I could have sworn somebody on United scored more than 13 goals. But anyway, Micah, mm-hmm. did Manchester United's performance this year exceed, meet, or fail to meet expectations? And a reminder, they finished second last year under Jose Mourinho. Right. One of the great accomplishments of his career, as he would say. 81 points last year, 66 this season. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with meet expectations. What? Being that we finished, being that we finished sixth. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, I mean, like, okay, so, you know, beginning of the season, like, it was absolutely terrible from Jump Street. Uh, and I mean, basically, after Mourinho left, we got to feel like everything was amazing because it was 11 straight games unbeaten with Ole uh, Gunnar Solskjaer as manager, as interim manager. And that felt great. But the thing is, is that I think that uh, I want to say that like adjusted for, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, certain mitigating factors. I can't even remember. I don't, I don't know what the stat is, but it's just like we would have been in the exact same position <laughs> if Mourinho would have stayed on. Uh, like, you know, adjusting for how the form was going into going into sacking. Like, I can't say that I expected much out of this season to begin with. Um, so, I mean... So this is the age-old adage, if you have very low expectations, you'll never be disappointed. I mean, like, I'm not going to say that I wasn't disappointed at all. <laughs> <laughs> but my expectations were low, and my expectations were more or less met. What was your top memory of this United campaign? <laughs> was it Alexis, Sanche Christ. Alexis Sanchez's mustache? <laughs> Fred's debut. Fred's debut. Fred's debut. Scott Hey, Scott McTominay's goal was <laughs> pretty awesome. Oh my god! VAR. It's Just, obviously VAR. It's the robots coming to save you. Yeah, the VAR is is well, no, I, VAR is uh, the the season's MVP. Like this, the top memory from the season. I mean, like would still be. <laughs> like winning that winning that second leg against PSG just because it was so improbable. But even so, there were things like, I mean, the way in which we won it was not like fun or spectacular. <laughs> if, if that VAR doesn't <coughs> rule that a handball, does Solchire get a three-year contract? No, I don't think so. I, well, it, Absolutely not. Which yeah. Is absurd. <laughs> yeah, which is like hilarious. And I mean, like I did say that like immediately after he gets the contract we are going to drop off a cliff it was like immediately after that match right? yeah <laughs> who, uh, so who was the team mvp this year i just mentioned uh pogba led the team in goals and assists yet got the most criticism per usual well i mean like he is like quite technically the team's like mvp like in the, in the technical sense the team's most valuable player i mean like as in and the reason that he gets so much stick and Ryan wrote about this, uh, he can chime in uh, on your newsletter is that he often had to make the choice in between his team creating zero chances or them giving up all of the goals. Like it's there. He was asked to do everything and is continually asked to do everything. And the fact that he sometimes brushes up close to that just kind of deludes people into thinking that he should be able to do things like, you know, be Superman all the time. Now, again, like in the instances with the, I mean, the dust up between him and Mourinho in the earlier season, he was he was acting like a dickhead, but so is Mourinho. <laughs> and there are things that you can nitpick certain things about his conduct over the season or whatever, but the fact still remains that he's still the team's best player and the most valuable player, even if he did play like shit down the, down the stretch. He'll get along with Zidane though, right, Ryan? Oh, he's gonna look so good in white, man. Fuck y'all. But also, I mean, I don't know, man. So like, so this, it's just is like beating the enthusiasm out of me this season. Wait, Ryan has a question. I have a question. Um, so I, I think that the way they've handled the Solshire thing is, um, 
hilarious in a lot of ways, especially seeing like, you know, Eric Ten Hag at Ajax sort of become a coaching prospect and, you know, see Pochettino sort of reach another sort of level of greatness. But since uh, OGS took over, I know that it ended terribly. United have the third most points in the Premier League um, since he took over. I know it's United and it's kind of, they're supposed to, you know, have the most points considering how much money they have. But I do think it's been overblown a little bit about because they've been so bad recently, they've actually, you know, on the whole, um, you know, if they played the way they played under OGS the whole season, they would have been in the top four. Um, hmm. No, so, uh, that's not a question, I guess. That's just me uh, getting a fact in. Yeah, but, you know, he did start his tenure against a string of bad teams. So, and when this is true. we all knew that the schedule was going to get tough near the end of March, April, those are the games that if you want to be a top four team, you have to win or at least get points from. And that's where he failed. And then the wheels just fell off in the last couple couple weeks. Uh, so, Michael Pogba's your MVP. Who's your LVP? Ashley Young. <laughs> Ashley, <laughs> Ashley Young. Uh, there's just so many. There's so many people to choose from. Like, there's like outside of. You just hate Ashley Young. Damn. I, I like. No, but I mean. It's a bird shit in the guy's mouth. Like it's all like it is. It is very. It's not always Ashley Young, but it is frequently Ashley Young. Like he's just like he is a good third option at for like a wing back at this stage in his career. He's not good enough to be starting for United like consistently and play playing meaningful minutes. That's kind of like the long and short of it. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so we talked about Solskjaer a lot. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you yes or no. Do you have the right manager? I don't think. I, I still am going to fall back on my thing that like the right manager is not a salient or pertinent question uh, for United at this stage because I mean like you, no is, manager is it the technical is director to, thing. It's the technical director, but also like the like the team is cobbled together from three past managers' ideas. Like so, like no manager is winning with the team as it's currently constructed. I mean, every new manager has that same dilemma, though. Yeah. But do you think that they should hire Rio Ferdinand to be technical director? <laughs> I think that they should stop. I think that like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to you like this. United needs to give up on nostalgia. Like we are being, we are running the club like the Lakers right now. And I really don't like appreciate it. Like, I don't want like the footballing decisions to be made by some combination of Mike Phelan, Darren Fletcher, Michael Carrick, and like Rio Ferdinand or whoever the fuck. Like, get somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And, and, like, it's just kind of... I think that it was immediately after Mourinho sacking that Gary Neville was on Sky Sports talking about nobody who, you know, like, doesn't have a history in the club or, like, doesn't have an appreciation for what United is supposed to be like um, should ever be sitting in the manager's chair again or whatever. And that's dumb because United's culture or whatever was just winning consistently or you know like you that's that's all that it that's all that Ferguson's legacy was was just winning and like this holding on to past I like past ideas of what United used to be is just like nothing but an ankle weight in or, or you know like a it's a ball and chain around your ankle like in in the in the modern footballing era don't you guys also feel like 
like I don't when I think of the Sir Alex Ferguson era, I don't think of him being sentimental with any of the players. Not at all. Like he would cut bait with guys once they declined just a tiny bit. Like Yop Stom was was out of there um and then went on to be pretty good for Ace in Milan for a while. But I mean Diego Fall you know, like he there's... brought in Carlos Quiroz like from the outside to kind of um give him a new perspective. So it's interesting that they're like clinging to this United way while like the guy that created the United way was like the least sentimental manager of all time. Yeah. I mean, this is actually why as an Arsenal fan, I feel kind of good because obviously, obviously city are city, Liverpool are Liverpool, but, and Spurs are Spurs, I guess you could say at this point, but between Chelsea, Arsenal and United, I think Arsenal are in the best place as a club. Would anyone dispute that? I would, I, I would mean, probably agree. They yeah, don't I have mean, a like, transfer ban and yeah. they, uh, you know, aren't considering Rio Ferdinand being in charge of their transfers. And they oh. have a shot at getting back into the Champions League, which means that you can lure actual talent over the summer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Michael, what are your expectations for next season? You're probably going to say like 10th place so you don't get disappointed. I mean, like any, like it could honestly be anywhere between six and 10th. <laughs> like, I don't like it's. I, the the rebuild is going to be long and not fun and like I don't despite what Ander Herrera said on the way out the door being like I really think that you know like I hope that next season we can be champions or whatever that's just magical thinking we're gonna suck for a while <laughs> they do have the fourth best odds to win next year which I found kind of strange it's but. very strange I guess because betters you know it's like uh, the Steelers always being favored. Well, I mean, like exactly yeah, like sure. we're, we're we're betting on our brand name, yeah. which is just big. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, I don't know if you've seen the leaked kits for next season, uh, but their home yeah, kits those have a stupid ass AYSO jerseys. Well, they have a black badge, which is weird for the dark ages. <laughs> All right, we're running a little short on time. I, I actually had in this rundown a bunch of Premier League awards. I don't know if we. Need, I, I hope you guys didn't prepare too much for them, but maybe we can just skip around because offensive MVP, defensive MVP are kind of boring, I guess, unless we keep it like non-top six or something. Is there any award, specific award you guys want to dole out? A breakout player? I'll say breakout player Andy Robertson. And right behind that, probably Bernardo Silva. Um, but Andy Robertson, I'm just always, I'm going to remember from this season that yes, the, the one putting, putting the clamps on Lionel Messi, but also in like the 70 something minute in the first leg of the Barcelona tie, him stopping a three on one break on his own, basically. Um, and, uh, like, you know, shuttling Luis Suarez to the outside and then like, you know, deflecting the ball out of bounds is just, there were so many things like that that he did this season that I was just like whoa like from hole to like maybe one of the best fullbacks in the world Scotland captain yo Ryan gun to head and you had to choose between your two sons Robertson and Alexander Arnold Alexander Arnold I agree better at whipping and across he's so good he's younger he's like what is he 19 still 20 19 Jesus uh Ryan do you have any awards to give out I'll say I, I'll do it one quick other breakout player. I'll say Aaron Juan Bissaka. Mm. Um, oh, yes. He had an amazing season for Crystal Palace, uh, led all defenders in tackles with 129. But I know that number means nothing to anyone because there's no context. But compare that, he was dribbled by 10 times, um, which means 
essentially he attempted 139 tackles and completed 129, which is like, you know, quadruple the, the success rate of any other player. Um, so he's kind of, you, you know, we talked about DVD maybe being a behind the scenes guy. He's extremely active, but almost always successful. Um, and I, I think, uh, I, I have a hard time believing that he won't be on a top six team. Um, considering how valuable that position start of is next season. Yeah. Yeah. By this time next year. And then I'll, I'll do a best goal. I just think was Andrews Townsend's, um, Oof, one because, oh God, <laughs> you know, well, he's known for taking those shots and then literally landing out of the stadium. Um, so seeing it go in was amazing, but it was such a great goal also because I think it really, it almost created the title race in a way. Um, it tripped city up, up enough that Liverpool were able to sort of run past them. Um, not far enough, obviously, but that was kind of the run where city, you know, fell back to the pack a little bit. And I think, I mean, I mean, it speaks to how good city is that like they needed a kind of one in a million goal like that to, um, slow them down. But, but I think it was probably the best technical goal of the year. And then it was the narrative of that goal was the best as well. Have any players performances or managers for that matter declined after a hair transplant? Oof. Wow. <laughs> I guess you could, I guess you might, well, I mean like, well, and David Silva, all you, you might argue Silva. Rooney, Rooney was fucking well, good Well, I mean before. like, no, it's more like you have to, well, the thing is that like Rooney's hair transplant came like, and then there was an uptick in performance. And then, I mean like, if we're talking about immediately after, yeah, then you can't include Wayne Rooney, but I mean, eventually his touch left him yeah. and he, <laughs> I mean, the, the overall just, point is that sports is such a confidence game that having that extra confidence probably boosts your performance uh let me add an award <laughs> uh and this is just recency bias but just in the last month i have to give an award for shithouser of the year and that would be jefferson lerma <laughs> <laughs> no surprise a, a Colombian national i mean i shouldn't say that props to Colombia, oh. but uh given what happened in the world cup <laughs> but it, just in the last few weeks, he uh, had those, uh, you know, Sonny of all people was, uh, he incited to, you know, push him down, which we've never seen from some before. And in the last match against Crystal Palace, that 5-3 crazy one, him and Zaha were getting into it all match. Zaha had the last laugh, actually it was an awesome play for the fifth goal where Lerma tried to body check him and he just shrugged him off and kept running and, and I fed, I believe, Townsend for the fifth goal, but. Uh, I kind of like shit, you know, I love shithousers actually. And I think Lerma is a good shithouser. Getting Sonny to lose his cool is sort of the ultimate achievement in shithousery, in my opinion. Yeah, because if you also see it, like Lerma had body check. Lerma's move is basically body checking because he body checked Sonny like uh, 15 minutes prior to the incident. So, um, yeah, shithouser. Any other awards? L let me ask you a final question about the Premier League, actually, in lieu of it. Well, can we say, like, coldest soundbite? Yeah. Because, um, like, I still, like, seriously, one of my favorite moments of the season was, like, Mbappe going batshit after getting fouled, like, continuously for 75 minutes and then just, like, two-footing the guy. Oh. And then getting asked by French media after the game, like, you know, do you, you know, like, just being given the opportunity to be contrite and you know, kind of, you know, walk back his behavior a little bit. And he was just like, 
No, I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Except in French. Yeah, exactly. The other, other, I'll, let me throw one quick soundbite also into it. I really enjoyed the story of Harry Kane giving an amazing speech <laughs> to Tottenham at the half, at halftime of the Ajax game. And then Pochettino being asked about it and him being like, I don't even know if he was in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never change, Kane. All right, this is the last question about the Premier League looking ahead to next season. We always talk about top six this, top six that. Did you not? Did you guys know that in the last five matches of the season, Spurs, Arsenal, and United combined for a total of 10 points? Whereas Wolves, Everton, and Leicester, who finished 7th, 8th, and ninth respectively, picked up a total of 23 points. So now there's a lot of clamor about how one of these teams might break into the top six next season. Which one do you guys think is most likely to break the hierarchy? Ryan. This is this question just got tougher. Like within the last week, I would have said Leicester just because they have their sort of recruitment has been incredible over the past couple of years. They have a ton of awesome young players, and I think Brendan Rodgers is like a good enough manager to get a team into the top four. But they just hired one of Brendan Rodgers' buddies as the new head of recruitment, um, and we saw how poorly things go uh, when Brandon Rogers controls recruitment at a club. Um, <laughs> shout out Christian Benteke. Um, so I think I'm going to say Wolves just because they have the kind of probably the best talent baseline and they have kind of the Jorge Mendez connection. The only thing I would worry about with Wolves is that they scored 47 goals this year and to just, just straight up to get enough points to be in the top six, you have to score more goals than that. So that would be my my one big worry with them, but Wolves have uh, Wolves had the fifth best expected goal differential in the league this year. So, kind of, if you everyone plays to their underlying stats, Wolves is in the top six. Um, you know, this year, Michael, do you have a thought on that? I mean, just going basically off of the fact that they were usually the team that popped up to ruin a better team's day. Um, I would say that Wolves are the most likely to break into the top six, despite their um, despite the dearth of goals. Um, and then I, I mean, like, but also you would say Lester, but again, because, because Brendan Rogers brought in his friend to, 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 to run recruitment. Just, I feel like that's going to ruin, you know, like a very strong midfield of Wilfred and Didi and, uh, Yuri Tielemans, who was a good pickup in the mid season. And then, like, uh, yeah, I, I still think it's going to be Wolves. I think Wolves are most likely to break into the top six. Thomas Rodriguez to Wolves. Watch out for it. <laughs> that would be incredible. That would be incredible. Well, that wow. puts an end to the Premier League season. But football's never over. We have the Europa League final, Chelsea and Arsenal, May 29th. Champions League final, Tottenham and Liverpool, June 1st. We may or may not have an emergency pod after that, so stay tuned for that. And then the Nations League semifinals, Portugal and Switzerland, Netherlands and England. Those begin June 5th in Portugal. The Women's World Cup begins June 7th in France. The Copa America, June 14th in Brazil. The Gold Cup, you guys remember the Gold Cup. Is the Gold Cup every four years or two years? Who knows? Two years, but it's only important every four years. (laughs) The Gold Cup begins June 15th, and then the African Cup of Nations in Salah's homeland, Egypt, June 21st. So this might be the last Ringer FC for a while, uh, except maybe that emergency Champions League final pod. Uh, But we might get back together for the Women's World Cup uh, preview that. Until then, thank you, Ryan O'Hanlon, the XG God. 
Miss you guys. Miss you too. And thank you, Micah. Of course. Thank you to our producer, Craig Horlbeck. See you guys later. Peace. Peace.